I want to talk about yeast this morning. Yeast. Now, yeast, if you know anything about baking, which I know very little, but I know enough to know that yeast, when it gets involved with dough, ladies, correct me, guys, some of you guys, it completely transforms that dough, doesn't it? Whatever yeast gets involved with, it completely transforms it. So, uh, in the Bible, yeast is um, not spoken of in a positive light. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally love yeast rolls. Can, anybody, can I get an amen on that? And don't let that be the loudest amen today, but, you know, can I get an amen on that? I love yeast rolls. <clears throat> but for some reason, yeast in the Bible is talked about in a very negative, in fact, scary way. We're going to be looking at that this morning. Uh, this is not a baking show. This is not a baking lesson. We're going to talk in God's Word about yeast. But, by the way, Halloween coming up real soon. I think, is it next Sunday? And for those of you who have kids and you go out trick-or-treating, since yeast is such a scary thing, and guys and gals, if you have not decided yet on your Halloween costume, might I suggest that you dress up as a giant Fleischmann's yeast packet. Because apparently it's a very scary thing uh, in the Bible. So that might be a thing. And actually it might be a, a witnessing tool because people can say, why are you just like a Fleischmann's yeast packet? And then you can go into what we're getting ready to preach here today and learn today. You can go into a whole message, a whole sermon to, you, to these people. And all they're trying to do is drop a little baby Ruth in your bag and you bring them to the Lord because you're dressed up like a Fleischmann's yeast packet. So enough said on that, except for... If you ever, if you go to lunch today and like you go to Texas Roadhouse, which is my weakness, the yeast rolls there are awesome, amen? Another amen there, maybe for a few of you. But if you ever have a yeast roll and you're going like to a restaurant today and you see any sort of bread that's kind of puffy, that means it's got yeast in it, okay? It's puffy. Otherwise, you're going to get this cracker, you know, and that has no yeast. But you're going to get this puffy, yummy roll. Do not stand up in the middle of the restaurant and say, this is what sin will do to you. Because people are going to think you're weird and they're going to kick you out. At least you have a couple of rolls in your hands and you don't go empty handed, but uh, <laughs> you'll never look at a yeast roll the same again after this sermon today. So laugh, <laughs> eat it anyway. It's good. All right. So last Sunday was the first of the seven feasts we looked at. It was called the what? Anybody remember? The Passover. And the Passover was how uh, the reason they called it the Passover is because the blood that was uh, appointed to. Somebody's got some music going on over there. So you hear that thing? It's got like a separate thing going on. You hear that? Am I hearing something or is it just me? It's music? Is it me? It's you. It's us. Okay, good. It's not just me. All right, very good. I'm thinking, man, I know that my ears have been stopped up, but I'm, I'm kind of getting into this zone here. But last week, the Passover was talking about the blood that was posted on the doorposts of the people in uh, Egypt at that last of the ten plagues. And um, the, the blood that was posted over the doorpost or applied to the doorpost, the death angel would pass over that particular house and uh, wouldn't kill the firstborn of, of those in that house. That was the last of the ten plagues. And so you can look at that and listen to the message from last week. I encourage you to do so. Uh, but we, we saw how Jesus actually fulfilled this feast of Passover on the very day that it occurred uh, by becoming our sacrificial lamb. Now, he became that sacrificial lamb and he was slain for your sins and for my sins. And aren't you thankful for the sacrifice 
of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and what He's done for us so that we could be here today and come boldly before the throne of grace, which is what we sang about, and God's grace is poured out on us as we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb, to the sins of our heart, and, and He says, you're clean. And so we can say that today based on not anything we've done, but on everything that Jesus has done for us. And aren't you thankful for that? So today... I want us to look, I want us to look today at the second of the seven feasts. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, unleavened simply means there was no yeast in the bread. That's why I talked about yeast a few moments ago. Leaven and yeast are an interchangeable word. As we go into this time here today, I want you to understand that whenever I say leaven, I'm really meaning yeast. And when I say yeast, I mean leaven. It's the same thing. So the first two feasts of Passover and Unleavened Bread... And we're going to look at how Jesus is tied to all of these seven feasts. There's a total of seven feasts in the Old Testament that the Jewish people were appointed by God to observe every year. Kind of like what we would call holidays or festive days or days of memory or, or recognition, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Fourth uh, of July, all of those. Christmas, of course, all of those different things. Um, so, so understanding that these two feasts are really back to back, you have the Passover and you have unleavened bread, the Passover takes place on the 14th day of Nisan, which is not a car, it's a month, and uh, that was like for us saying the 14th of October, right? So the 14th of, of Nisan, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, it's probably Nisan, I don't know, but it's N-I-S-A-N. And then unleavened bread begins on the 15th day of that month, and it lasts for seven days. So Passover is one day, and unleavened bread is seven days. So you have a total of eight days. And so they often were blurred together and they were called many times the eight days of Passover. <clears throat> now in Jesus' day, they called all eight days the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now if you want to write down this scripture, Luke 22 verse 1, you can read a little bit about this, but I'm going to give you a real quick snapshot of what Luke 22 1 is all about. It says, now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. So you see how it was tied together, both of those together, it's kind of like mashed together. And in fact, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read the different things that Jesus was doing, the different sort of events and stuff that he was going through, you're going to see where a lot of times where it says Jesus was at the feast or the feast was taking place, the festival, things like that that were delineated and, and, and recognized in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read that, you have to understand that it was one of those seven feasts that we're going to be looking at over these next several weeks. And so the feasts were very much an integral part of what was going on in Jesus' day. And it went on for thousands, a couple of thousand years before that, where the feasts were initiated by God. So in Luke 22, 1, the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. If you continue to read that just a few of those verses in that chapter. This is where the Pharisees were at the point where they wanted to kill Jesus. They were trying to figure out how to get rid of him. He was nothing but trouble to them. He was, he was attacking the status quo of what was going on in the Pharisees' lives in the, in the, in the religious sector of that, of that community, of that, of that time. So they're trying to figure out how to kill him. And, and so it says, if you read the, that chapter, part of that chapter, is that they found that Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' disciples, was amenable to trying to help the Pharisees to get Jesus aside and betray him. And they were able to agree to a thing of saying, I'll tell you what, we're going to give you some money. 
we all know about the 30 pieces of silver. And Judas then at that point became in cahoots with the uh, Pharisees and said, okay, I'm going to figure out a time where we can get Jesus aside and you can take him and do what you need to, need to do with him. So that's the part of Luke chapter 22 that it continues on. But it says, at the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, which means that this happened, this, this thing with Judas and the Pharisees happened just before all of this that we looked at last week where Jesus actually did that Seder dinner at the Passover meal and then he was betrayed and all that. So they were working to try to figure this thing out, potentially maybe even in that very week that Jesus came in to Jerusalem. So that's kind of a back backstory and a little bit of a backdrop as to where we're going here today. So now both of these feasts, Passover and Unleavened Bread, were reminders to Israel of God's deliverance. Now, that's an important word there, so write that down if you're taking notes. The command for both of these feasts were given before the Jews left Egypt, before that last plague. You can read about this in your own time in Exodus chapter 12. I'm not going to go into the details of this morning. So you can write that down, Exodus chapter 12, and you can look at it later. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, is the first of three what they call pilgrimage feasts. You have unleavened bread, you have Pentecost, and you have tabernacles. Those three were what they call pilgrimage feasts. The reason that they're called pilgrimage feasts is if you remember several weeks ago, I described these three feasts in modern day terms kind of more like if you were having, if, if you were working at a job and your employer gave you three weeks of vacation a year, okay? Those three weeks are you know, seven days long, you would figure out what to do in those three weeks. Maybe they're divided up in, you know, spring, summer, fall sort of thing. You want to spread it out so you can enjoy your vacations. Well, wouldn't you in your vacation time plan, hey, uh, you're going to go away somewhere. Let's say you're not going to, it's not a staycation, it's actually a vacation. You're going away. Well, you're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to get a dog sitter, maybe. You're going to, uh, you're going to make some reservations at a hotel. You're going to do some travel plans, maybe an airline, or, or find out the route from where you are to where that place is. You're going to make some plans when you get there. Maybe you can make some reservations to a show or to a different something that you want to go while you're there. I mean, in other words, you're going to make a lot of plans. You're not just going to say, well, it's our vacation today. It starts today. Then scramble and figure out how to, you know, pay for it. You can put money back. I mean, you get all kinds of stuff to plan for that vacation. Am, am I right? Of course. Yeah, that's how we do with our with our vacations. Now, but there's some other days, like, uh, like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Fourth of July, stuff like that. Just as important holidays, but those are kind of like one-day deals, right? And you don't plan so much for that. Maybe because Mother's Day and Father's Day on a Sunday, you don't have to take that day off, so you celebrate, you come to church, you take your mom out for lunch, your dad out for lunch, and it's a special time, but you don't have to take off work and do a lot of planning, a little bit, but not a lot. And so that's the difference between the pilgrimage feasts as opposed to the other four that were kind of one-day shots. A little bit more planning, and, uh, but still all of them equally important. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the first of three pilgrimage feasts, and all of the Jewish males, 12 and older, were actually required to go from their towns and what have you to Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. And in fact, Jesus observed all of these feasts throughout his life. And if you look at Luke chapter 2, Verses 41 through 50, which again, we're not going to read this morning, but it's recorded that when Jesus was 12 years old in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50, that he actually went to Jerusalem with his parents 
And if you know this story, his parents, he was with a big, you know, entourage. And so when they finished with the feast and the, the festivities, they went on back home and there were about a day's travel when they looked around and realized, hey, where's Jesus? He's not with us. Is he with you? No. Is he with you? No. Where? So they had to go back to Jerusalem and they found Jesus. Where was he? He was finally, they found him in the temple and he was discussing the law with all the religious scholars. And these grown men were just amazed that this 12-year-old boy knew uh, the word. In fact, it was kind of funny because he actually wrote that word. So, of course, he knew it. Uh, but he was there with them during that Feast of Unleavened Bread. That, that's, the, uh, that, again, I want, to put you, I want to put you in the context of a lot of things that we know about Jesus and his stories. Actually, a lot of them were connected to some of these major feasts. Okay? The Passover last week, totally connected to Jesus. Uh, unleavened Bread, connected to Jesus in several ways. So let's look at the practical significance of this feast. There's four things that I want us to look at this morning, and I, I want you to write these down. I'm going to be kind of quick with them, and we're going to come back and visit them in a few minutes. So the practical significance of this feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there were three instructions that were given for this observance. There's going to be three things here, and there are going to be four things later that I'm going to talk about. So Numbers 28, you can look at it again. I'm not going to go through the details of it and read it out, but Numbers 28 is where we're finding this. And so let's extract these three things that are important to this particular feast first. First, there were special sacrifices that were to be offered in the temple each day of the feast. So special sacrifices, write that down, special sacrifices. And that being bulls, rams, lambs, grain, it was even like a one goat that we would know as the scapegoat that was sent out. And I can go into a whole message about that. But it's really interesting what they were required to do. Bulls, rams, lambs, grain. They were all there to be sacrificed, especially every day as part of the unleavened bread. The second thing is that on the first and the seventh days. Now, keep in mind that our worship times are on a Sunday. But a Sabbath in Jewish culture is on a Saturday. So this is the first day of the week. In our culture, the Sabbath to them is the seventh day of the, of the week. It's the last day. It's the day that Jesus rested, or God rested when he created all heaven and earth. And so that's why the Jews celebrate it then. Uh, we could. There's no reason, there's no rhyme or reason to it. The reason we celebrate on a Sunday is because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Because Jesus was raised again from the dead on the first day of the week. And so it just took. And so we're here on a Sunday because our culture has tradition has made it. Now we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. He's risen. Amen? Amen. Today he's risen. And every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, but every Sunday we say, praise God, we're here today because we serve a risen Savior. And that's why we celebrate on a Sunday worshiping God because we serve Jesus who is alive and well in our hearts and on this earth today. Amen. So the second thing that they did is the first and the seventh days of this feast were Sabbath days. So again, here's Passover, which took place on a Friday. And then unleavened bread started on a Saturday, which is Sabbath. So that was a holy day. That was a day of, of rest. And that was a day where, where there was, people were to do no regular work. So actually the first day of unleavened bread, they kind of did nothing. It was just a or a day of rest. And then on the seventh day, the next Saturday, because this feast went from Saturday to Saturday, Sabbath to Sabbath, they rested then too. So, so there was all of that going on there. That's the second requirement. Here's the third one. And this is the biggie. 
The third one was there was no leaven or yeast allowed. In fact, it was strictly forbidden. Strictly forbidden. No leaven, no yeast. There's five other places in the Bible where this is repeated. There's four times in Exodus, and there's one time in Deuteronomy 16. I am going to read uh, this verse, and it starts in Exodus chapter 12, verses uh, 14 through 20. And this is where we're going to begin our study in God's Word today, now that you have some backdrop here, okay? So here we go. Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. If you're there, let me hear you say, praise the Lord. Okay, it says, this is a day that you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day, listen to this, must be cut off from Israel. Does that seem extreme to you? Yes, but that's how seriously... They took this. They must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Don't work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is all that you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreign or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be again cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Are you getting the picture here? Eight times in seven verses, we are emphatically given instructions, no yeast. Usually when a point is trying to be made in God's word, it's repeated. And I say that eight times in seven verses, when you hear the phrase, no yeast, no yeast, no yeast, I think they're trying to get a point across. How about you? You see, this is so key to where we're going with this today. And so I want you to hold that thought aside as we continue with this. So not only was eating food with leaven or with yeast forbidden, but even the very presence of leaven was forbidden. I want you to listen to me in Exodus chapter 13, verse 7, as it reads this. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. In other words, eat bread with no yeast. Nothing with yeast is in in it is to be even seen among you. Now get this. Nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. Okay, so not only can I not have it in my kitchen, I can't have it in my house, I can't have it in my city, I got to kick it completely out of the country. It can be nowhere at all seen or even available. Now, I want you to imagine for me in 2021 for just a moment. Let's take it to where we are in our nation. I want you to go to the grocery store. Any grocery store, pick it. I want you to go to any grocery store or any place, any restaurant, any place that sells food in America, wherever you can go that you can get food, raw or prepared. Then I want you to imagine that you can go to anyone's house in America right now, just anywhere, just go door to door, house to house, apartments and you name it, everywhere, north, south, east, west, all 50 states, go to every house 
And I want you to imagine with me now that you've gone to all these different places that you could possibly go that had any sort of food, and in those places that you visited, there would be no yeast. That's a pretty tall order, but that's exactly what God was telling them in their nation, in their, in their culture, in their community to do. God was saying not only you're not to eat it, but you don't even have it available anywhere within your borders. Why? Why was this command so emphatic? Why was this command so pervasive? We're going somewhere with this, so hang here with me. Why? It's because of what this feast symbolizes for the Jews. Read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3. It says, Eat it with bread made without yeast. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast. As when you escape from Egypt in such a hurry, eat this bread. The bread of what? Suffering. So that as long as you live, you will remember the day you departed from Egypt. You see, this eating of this type of bread was a reminder of their suffering in Egypt. Stay with me here. Remember this. They suffered in Egypt. They were there for 430 years under the bondage of slavery. And they suffered greatly under the heavy hand of the Egyptians. This is why unleavened bread is referred to among the Jews as the bread of suffering. Second, so this is important. These are the four things that I'm talking about. The first one is they were in bondage. If you want to write that down, bondage, slavery, those are key words right there. Write that down. The first thing that they were recognizing, the first thing that we're going to bring home to 2021 with where we are as Christians today is that there was a bondage, a slavery, and a suffering that was going on while they were in Egypt. The second thing is, is that as they, did, as they ate this unleavened bread for seven days, it was a reminder of the swiftness of God's deliverance. Write that down, swiftness or swift, speedy. Whatever you want to do to write down something that sounds like it's very quick, swift, speedy. There was no time for their daily bread to rise, so it had to remain unleavened. There was a swiftness in God's deliverance. Here's the third thing. It reminded them of the completeness of their deliverance. Write that down. Complete. Completeness. Total. Write that down. So you have this suffering, slavery, bondage. You have swift deliverance. And you have complete deliverance. Now, I want to just stop right there for just a second because this deliverance was so complete. Not only were they slaves, not only went, now were they not slaves, they actually didn't even leave empty-handed. I love this part of this story. They didn't just say, get out of here. But let me read to you Exodus chapter 12, verse 33 through 36, and it describes not only God's swift and complete deliverance after the 10th and final plague, but how they didn't leave empty-handed. Listen to this. It says, The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading trowels wrapped in, clo in, in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and <laughs> asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. <laughs> And then the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Imagine, slaves just a day or two before, walking out, not only free, but with some goodies, with some riches. 
with some abundance. Are you hearing me today? I want you to think about this. Not only did they leave freely, but they left fully. God sent them out with a plunder from their captives, silver, gold, and clothing of all kinds. The riches of Egypt were afforded to God's chosen people. By the way, when you and I were released from the shackles of our sins, not only did he do it speedily, not only did he do it completely, not only were we free from our bondage of sin, but the riches of heaven today, folks, are at our disposal. Do you hear me today? Now, the first thing that you're going to, some of us are going to go to is like, oh, I can get rich serving Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. Because there's a lot of poor people that love Jesus and are doing just fine. Talking about financially. The riches I'm talking about are God's peace. How many need God's peace all the time, right? How many need this God's grace that we talked about all the time, amen? How about his joy? How about his love? How about all this and more in unlimited abundance? Those are the riches from heaven. You can't buy it. You can't sell it, but it's so needed. And we have it in abundance and it never will run out. Oh, I love that. We're not just saved, but we're filled with all of the riches we can tap into from his throne, from his kingdom, from his goodness into our lives. Hallelujah. And here's the fourth thing. It was a reminder of the need for them to live purely before the Lord. So if you want to write pure, purity, purely. So the first one is slavery, bondage. Second, swiftness of deliverance. Thirdly, completeness of deliverance with some riches on the side. And fourth, reminder to be pure. Oh, we're going to cover this today, so stay with me. Now, the rabbis and the priests said in the days of old that leaven or yeast represents the evil impulses of the heart. Now, Jesus, he was preaching, teaching his disciples, and he had just had some interaction with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to read to you verse 6, and then I'm going to skip to verse 11 and 12. So Matthew 16, verse 6 says, be careful. Jesus said it to his disciples. He says, be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, what the disciples turned around and was like, you know, what, they got some bread we don't know about? That the Pharisees' bread is not good. We don't want to eat the bread because of the yeast. There must not be good yeast. And Jesus, I can just see Jesus going, oh, my goodness. All right. And finally, as he heard them talk amongst themselves, he finally got their attention. He says, hey, guys, guys, over here. Okay. How is it that you don't understand that what I was not talking about was their bread? This is verse 11 now. He says, okay, let me just be more, more, more precise. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in their bread. But he was telling them to be careful against the teachings. Against their sinful, incorrect teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that would then spread in their soul and permeate them like yeast does with bread. It would get in there and do some awful things. Jesus was saying, be careful of that teaching. And they went, oh, that kind of yeast. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> uh, he does that to us, by the way, too, amen? So... Let's just not throw the disciples under the bus without throwing ourselves under there too. Leaven or yeast is appropriate to symbolize sin 
because it rapidly permeates the dough. The, G, the Jews were taught through this feast, through the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that they must be vigilant to remove sin from their lives, to stay far away from it. Don't even get close. Remove it even from your borders because yeast, the yeast of sin, the yeast of compromise, the yeast of worldly things, it's a transformative and deadly evil that will wreak havoc on those that it gets inside of. And we must be careful. And we must be wise. Sin is like a pet teddy bear. Aren't bears so cute when they're little tiny babies? Oh, it's just a little bear. Let's just pet this little teddy bear. I mean, we've, some of us have had teddy bears when we were growing up. Some of us, may, it's all right. Full confession, you can say it. You, you can still sleep with your teddy bear. You can be, you know, 50 years old and still sleep with a teddy bear. No judgment here. But some of you kids, you know, maybe you still have teddy bears and you have one sitting on your bed or something. Teddy bears are so cute. But guess what happens when teddy bears are fed and nurtured and taken care of? They grow, don't they? Sin is kind of like a, a, a pet bear. It, it might be cute when it's little. Uh, but if it's fed and nurtured, it's eventually going to grow and, and it will attack and it will tear you to bits. You're not careful. It sounds so simple as we hear it said. Remove the yeast. But it's hard to do as temptations relentlessly attempt to lure us away. But today and every day, we need to love God and hate sin. I'll say it again. Love God and hate sin. Psalm 97.10 says this. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. See the contrast? Let those who love the Lord hate evil. You cannot love the Lord and love evil at the same time. Those are diametrically opposed to one another. If you're loving the Lord, you are hating evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Folks, I want to ask you some questions here this morning. Do you love God more than you love the sin that you're living in? Or do you love the sin that you're living in more than you love God? Put it in, uh, let's put it another way. Do you hate sin? Do you despise sin? Does sin make you sick to your stomach? Or have you grown to tolerate sin in your life? Have you learned to coexist with that particular sin that you're living in? Have you, have you figured out how to justify sin and compartmentalize sin and maybe even adjust God's word to rationalize sin? Your continued sinful choices and lifestyle. How about it? You know what God's Word says. You, you've been around God's Word long enough. You've been in church long enough. You know, you know, you know. And the Holy Spirit's convicting you. And it's just gotten like a little callous. It's just toughened up. And that voice that used to be so tender and clear, the voice of the Holy Spirit, has become muddied and muted because of the choices that you continue to make to live and that lifestyle to continue to do that that you're doing. So do you love God 
more than you love that sin. Because that's the choice you need to make every single day. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the teachings and the examples that this world has to offer. That your friends and co-workers have to offer. That some pulpits in this country are actually offering. Where they're compromising God's word to make themselves more acceptable to the current culture of what's going on. I'm here to tell you today that God's word never changes even though culture does and this pulpit and this preacher is going to preach the word and if it means that we have two people left in here then so be it because i'm not standing before you on judgment day i'm standing before god and i don't say that boastfully i say that humbly but i want you to know that you can be assured that i'm going to preach god's word to you and you may not like some of it but that's between you and the Lord. You're going to have to take that up with him. Happy to talk with you about it. But I'm not going to take God's word and say, yeah, but here we are in 2021. And it's, uh, let's kind of tweak it. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees is my response to that. You have friends and co-workers. You have others that are, that are opposed to holiness and righteousness and God's eternal word. And they will twist just like Satan tried to do with Jesus and just like he successfully did with Adam and Eve, he will, they will, God, Satan will try to twist God's word just enough to make it like, oh, okay, that, that, that actually makes sense. That sounds right. I think I'm okay. That's not what God's word says. Beware of the deceit of Satan. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Folks, it's time for us as a church and it's time for you as an individual to hate sin. To shun sin, to reject sin, to shed sin from your life. And instead, to love God, to pursue holiness, to embrace purity, to clothe yourself in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're in a world today where there's definitely a, a dividing line between that. The gray is becoming less and there's some black and white that's definitely going on. And my encouragement to you today is to walk in the light of God's word. Walk in his truth, in his holiness. Stand upon the eternal foundations of God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will remain and last forever. The opinions of man, the, 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 the way that this country is going, the way that this world is going, God's going to step in one day. He's going to say enough is enough. And he's going to clean house. And he's going to make things right again. What was once in the Garden of Eden will be once again in the new heaven and in the new earth. Where all things will be made new. We're on this giant arc of human history. And where I believe right here at the end of it, right before Jesus gets ready to come back and takes care of some business. It's time that those, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let those who make a decision to say, as for me and my house, we will serve not, not, not the world, not the opinions of man, not anything else. I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to say, as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, in the Jewish culture for thousands of years, those who honored this particular Feast of Unleavened Bread, they spent weeks before Passover cleaning everything and storing things away uh, all of the leaven was removed the night of, of Nisan 13, which was the day before Passover. Now, communities even created bonfires to burn the leavened bread removed from their homes. So this giant bonfire of nothing but 
of yeast rolls <laughs> in the middle of the community. Now, here's a, a really interesting tradition. It says, in the evening, the father does what they call the search for leaven ceremony. Now, he would purge the last bits of leaven from the home. Earlier, the mom would go around and place some little bits of bread in the corners and different window seals and stuff like that of the house where, where the father would be able to find some leaven. And so then the father would go, after he prayed, he would begin his search. He would have this large wooden spoon and this feather. So he had the wooden spoon and a feather. And by candlelight, he would search each room to find any scraps. And all the kids of the house would follow him as he used the feather to sweep those bits of bread that the mom had placed strategically. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt, you know, or like an Easter egg hunt. And so, oh, there's bread right there. He scoop it into the spoon. Uh, he scoop it into the spoon. He scoop it into the spoon. And he would take these, this wooden spoon and this bread and this feather, and he would place it into a bag and he'd tie up the bag and it would be set aside to be burned the next morning along with all the rest of the people that found their, uh, uh, their bread in their, in their home. It's really not a bad visual when you think about it. I mean, can you just imagine them doing that? It's not a bad visual for us this morning as to what we should be doing spiritually in our lives continually. We take this feather and we take this wooden spoon and we say, all right, Holy Spirit, you're the light in those dark corners. Show me where it is. Ah, thank you. All right, Lord, I take this little scrap right here and I put it in the spoon. And we just go around in all the little corners of our heart and our life and we put it all in a bag and we say, all right, Lord, I burn it at the altar. I give it to you. I don't want this leaven in my life anymore. I don't want this sin in my life anymore. Ah, I hope you're there this morning with that prayer, that desire. So in this feast, they were reminded that they, number one, they suffered in slavery and that they were rescued from slavery by God was number two, swift, and number three, complete with some goodies along the way. And that in that newfound freedom that they were to, number four, be diligent to keep sin far away from them, and to walk in purity of heart before God. We're going to come back to those four things again, but I wanted to reiterate that as we move on. So we talked about the practical significance, what they did back in the day. Let's look at the prophetic significance for just a moment of this feast. As I've said, there's seven Jewish feasts. There are appointed times. There are holy days that God appointed, not man, but God. God's inviting us to all seven of these appointed times. And the first three feasts relate to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled not only the Passover, but you're going to see today where he also fulfilled the unleavened bread on the very day of that feast. And then next week, we're going to be looking at uh, the, the, the third feast, and, and he's actually of the, three, of the first three feasts, and he fulfilled uh, that one as well. That one's called uh, Holy Days, or it's called the appointed times of Holy Days. is death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled all three of these first feasts on the very day of these feasts. So uh, those of you know, uh, unless you're living on a rock somewhere, that our days begin at what time? What time does our day begin on the, on the calendar? Any day. 12.01, doesn't it? When that clock clicks into 12, we start our new day. So from midnight to midnight, that's where we go, right? In the Jewish culture, their days begin at what time? Six o'clock. Isn't that weird? So... Here we are, let's say, seven hours from now, we would be celebrating a new day. It was, Sunday would be over and we'd be the Monday. Well, for, for, for the Jews, they start their days at 6 o'clock and they end at 6 o'clock the next day. So it's a little different for them. So just, just so you'll know, Jesus entered Jerusalem, what we know today as Palm Sunday. And he came in around after 6 o'clock, which would have been the 10th of Nisan. 
Each day until Thursday evening, he went to Jerusalem from the town of Bethany and responded to the attacks from the religious leaders and the Pharisees who wanted him dead. And on Thursday after six o'clock, which would have been the 14th of Nisan, it's when we looked at it last week that he observed the Passover. He did that Seder meal. Jesus performed the Seder meal as what we know as the Last Supper along with his disciples. And after the Seder meal, they sang a hymn. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was betrayed by Judas and then arrested. And then you know, we know that he was in, it was all night long that trial took place. Under the cover of darkness, all night long, Jesus was, was under trial. And from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m., which was still the 14th of Nisan, the day of Passover, Jesus was crucified. So all that took place on that day of. Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, died on Passover. And so at 3 o'clock, his body was quickly removed from the cross and buried before 6 p.m. as to not interfere with the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath, they couldn't do any work. And that's why, for example, uh, it was just hours away where they were going to actually break Jesus' legs to speed up his death process. But when they came to him, they realized he was already dead. And so it's thus fulfilled prophecy that not a bone shall be broken in his body. So, so they didn't break his legs. They came to him. He had already died. They took him down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. All this took place before six o'clock so that the Sabbath could be observed and no work can be done. So then all of the Sabbath, starting at six o'clock on that Friday until six o'clock that next day, which is the 15th of Nisan, Jesus was there in the tomb. His body remained there in the tomb on Sabbath, on that Saturday. Part of Sunday, or rather part of Friday, all of Saturday, and then part of Sunday as far as our calendar is concerned, as far as how we do things. So then on the third day, we all know that Jesus rose on the third day. And it's always kind of weird for me to think, well, how did that happen if he died on a Friday and he came on a Sunday? That's not three days, that's two. But the way that it goes from six to six, it totally fits in with, with how, the, how it's a third day. So on the third day of his crucifixion, which we celebrate, we know as Easter Sunday... It would have been the 16th of Nisan, which is the Feast of First Fruits, which we're going to look at next week. Jesus was resurrected. So he, was, he died on Passover, fulfilled it on that day. He was buried on unleavened bread, fulfilled it on that day. And then the next day, on that Sunday, which is the Feast of First Fruits, he was resurrected. So he fulfilled it on that day. We're going to look at First Fruits next week. The first three feasts related to his sacrificial death, to his burial, and to his resurrection. And he fulfilled all three of those on the very day of those celebrations. There's something significant to that. And we'll look at that in the weeks to come. So last week we saw how Passover connected with Jesus' death. His sacrifice for us was complete to satisfy God's wrath for our sins. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread relates to his, his burial. Now what do we know about the time that Jesus was buried in the tomb? Did he just twiddle his thumbs, look at his clock and say, man, Sunday cannot come soon enough. I just, I'm doing nothing here, but just waiting. Or, or was, did he do that or was he busy? He was busy, wasn't he? Jesus has always got something going. So the Bible describes Jesus descending to wherever Satan was. Uh, it could have been hell, it could have been whatever. Uh, wherever Satan was, he descended, it says. And, and, and he was taking from him some very important keys. Now, I know we all have keys in our, in our pockets, maybe in our purse, to our house, to our car, different places. There's two very important keys that Jesus took from Satan that are very important to us. And it's the keys to death, and it's the keys to hell. Jesus himself proclaimed this, this authoritative victory when he said in Revelation 1.18, I am the living one, I was dead, 
but now look, I'm alive forever and ever. So what he's saying was, I was buried uh, on Passover, but then I rose again on uh, Easter Sunday, on, on, on first fruits. And then he says with that, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. So, so what he was saying was this, during that time that I was buried to the time I rose again, I, 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 I got busy. I took, I took some authority that, that was mine, and I finished my, my finished work by taking these keys of death and of hell. You see, Jesus not only paid the price for our sins, he not only experienced death, Jesus also conquered death, and therefore, as a result of that, he rescued you and me and all who had placed their faith in Jesus from hell and all who had placed their faith in Jesus from dying. Because when we die, we're not going to die. Our bodies will, but we're going to live forever. And by the way, whether you're saved or not, you're going to live forever. It's either going to be in heaven or hell. When your body dies, you're going to, your soul is going to be released to either heaven or hell based on the decision you make today to shun sin and love God or to embrace sin and reject God. That choice today will make that decision for you for the rest of eternity as to where you're going to end up. But I'm so thankful that Jesus paid the price for my sin and that he not only conquered death and hell, but he took those keys. He's got the keys. And you know, when you got the key to your house, I can't get into your house unless I go with you. If you got the keys to your car, I can't ride anywhere unless you take me because you got the keys. Well, Jesus has got the keys to death and hell. So no longer are we subject to that. We're free from that. And God has given us a place of preparation called heaven. And he's given us eternal life in a place called heaven one day. And I believe it's very soon. Aren't you thankful for that? So this feast prophetically foreshadows two important things about Jesus' sacrifice for us. First one is that Jesus was a sinless sacrifice. I hope you'll agree with me that Jesus was a sinless sacrifice. If you don't agree with me, let's sit down and talk about it later on. Jesus was a sinless sacrifice. If leaven symbolizes sin, then unleavened bread symbolizes purity and sinlessness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, Christ never sinned. I don't know how you can get around that. You can't take that phrase and make it anything different. Christ never. The word never is a pretty emphatic word. You can't get around never. I mean, never means what? Never. Christ never sinned. It didn't say Christ never sinned except once. Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. In other words, even though Christ never sinned, he took your sin and he took my sin upon himself. God treated him like he would have treated us, like we deserve to be treated. He instead, Jesus took that treatment upon himself so that we can stand before God and say, I'm justified not based on anything that I've done, but because Jesus took my sin upon himself. Aren't you thankful for that? He was a sinless sacrifice. Secondly, he was a perfect sacrifice. Why was Passover just one day and first fruits one day, but unleavened bread is seven days? Because the number seven in scripture represents perfection. That's why. And since the feast relates to our Lord's burial, it points to the fact that his sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, with one perfect offering, Jesus perfected forever those who are being made holy. We talked about sanctification last week. That's what that is. It's being made holy. It's being made more like Christ. It's taking that feather and that spoon and saying, ah, there's some other stuff. That's sanctification. 
as to like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. Just put it in there, put it in a sack and burn it. So what's the personal significance of this feast to us today? And here it is. The significance of this feast for you and me is similar to the significance for the Jews, for the Jewish people. So let's look back at these four things for just a moment that we saw earlier. Number one, we must never forget what it's like to be lost without Christ and a slave to sin. Richard and I were talking about that before service. How sometimes his grace becomes, we kind of like cheapen it. We kind of take it for granted. Because it's been, for some of us, 30, 40, 50, 60 years since we made that decision for Jesus. But even in a year or two or five, sometimes if we're not careful, His grace, what He's done for you today, what He's done for you today by rescuing you from the slavery and the bondage of sin should never be forgotten. It should never be taken lightly. We should never let it be something that makes us feel like, ah, it's not really that important to me. But it should be so, we should be so keenly appreciative of it, just like Richard was 35 years later. It still is real to him. That car was given to him. Those keys were given to him and said, it's your son, it's yours. I mean, he, he went, he, he, gave me, he gave us the address. He gave us where he was in the house. I'm surprised he didn't tell us the temperature outside. I mean, it was just that real, it's just that significant to him because it was such an important time in his life. I want to ask you this, is what Christ did for you years ago as real today? Can you, can you rehearse it today? If I were to ask you right now, tell me how you got saved. Would it just bubble up inside of you so quickly and so easily to just say, let me tell you my story about how God rescued me? Or is it kind of like, well, you know, God help us. May we never forget what it was like to be lost without Christ and slaves to sin. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in this world. Before Christ, we had no hope. But with Him, we have all the hope we need. You know, the great American explorer Daniel Boone was once asked, have you ever been lost? Now, Daniel Boone went all over the place and, uh, you know, he was quite an explorer. His answer was no, but I've been bewildered all day. <laughs> you know, so before Christ, we were be- bewildered and confused and alone, weren't we? We were lost and, and walking in utter darkness. Before Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were wrapped tightly in the chains that would have kept us bound forever if it hadn't been for what Jesus did for us. Before Christ, we were hopeless and desperate and doomed. But thank God for His Son, Jesus. Amen? In Christ, we are not alone because His Word promises that He's always with us. He's a very present help in time of need. He will never forsake us. In Christ, we are free. We are no longer bound in the chains of sin. In Christ, we have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And as we sang earlier, we're leaning on His everlasting strong arms of grace. Let's remind ourselves of this every single day. If you get nothing else from this message today, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you every single 
day of his grace, of his mercy, of his rescue in your lives. Don't ever let it grow cold. Don't ever let it grow stale. Don't ever let it take, don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever let it be common what Jesus has done for you and for me. We're saved from our sins. We're no longer slaves. We're free today. Second, we must be grateful for the swiftness of our deliverance. You know, I got to tell you today, I I, I don't know about you, but but you don't have to wonder if you're saved today. You're saved. Remember that song we used to sing, I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm so glad I know that I am. How many remembers that song? Okay, just a few Pentecostals and the rest of us were Catholics. I don't know. Uh, That's what we sang growing up. You know? Our deliverance happened instantly. (laughs) The moment that we placed our faith in Jesus. It's going to be realized in His fullness when we get to heaven. But today, if you've confessed your sins to Jesus and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are saved. Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you for certain that everyone who hears my message and has faith in the one who sent me has eternal life and will never be condemned. They've already gone from death to life. Now, there's a little asterisk that I'm going to put on that, and I'll get to that in just a second. Let's go to the third one. Remember now the completeness of our salvation? We must always be thankful for the completeness of our salvation. Hebrews 7, 25 says, therefore, he is able to save what? Completely. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done today. I mean, some of you might have a testimony of the most awful lifestyle before Jesus. I actually talked to the guy a few days ago. He had tattoos all over him and he was, you know, but he had this Jesus shirt on and he was helping me out with something at a store. And uh, he was saying, man, you know, I just, I just am so thankful for, for God. And I said, man, as I was looking at his tattoos, it had some pretty provocative stuff on it. Let's put it that way. I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, I said the t- tattoos on, your, on you are pretty interesting. I said, how do, you, how, how, how do you deal with those? I mean, because they're a constant reminder. He says, exactly. They're a constant reminder. They're a constant reminder of what God has brought me out from. He says, I'm not going to cover these things up. I'm not going to wear long sleeves. And he says, I'm not doing this to advertise to anybody but to me. Because every time I look at these things on my arms, I realize what God brought me out of and where I am today. And I said, oh, I love that. I love that about, about how he's taken that and he's using it as a constant reminder that he is saved. He is completely saved. And he is being made whole and perfect in what Christ has already done for him. And so when Christ is living to intercede for you, as we read in Hebrews 7.25, what this means is this, that Jesus at this very moment is standing before God and he's vouching for you. Satan's like, yeah, what about the tattoos? Jesus said, covered. You know, what about the stuff that they used to do before they got saved? Covered, it's taken care of. You're completely saved. Yeah, but what about that lifestyle? Covered. Satan being the accuser of the brethren and Jesus stands up and says, you know what, I'm the advocate I am standing before God saying, they're good. God, my Father, they're good. And we, we, we hide ourselves under that finished work, under that covering, under that grace, under that blood, under that finished work that Jesus has done for us. And Satan's over there going, ah, I can do nothing about it. And aren't you glad today that we're covered by the blood of Jesus? So with that said, and, and by the way, don't let Satan tell you otherwise you're saved. But with that said, here's the asterisk. While this is true, 
that we should also seek to make sure that what is true of us eternally is also true of us daily. And that's where sanctification comes in. That's where the feather with the wooden spoon comes in. There was this man at the altar that was once praying and another gentleman was there praying with him. And he was praying a prayer of repentance and he's saying, Lord, cleanse the cobwebs of sin from my life. And the other believer that was praying with him shouted out louder and interjected and said, no, Lord, kill the spider. I think too often we focus on the cobwebs and stuff and say, oh, look at all this. Get the cobwebs cleaned out, but guess what? The spider's still there. He's going to come back and make some more cobwebs, isn't he? Sometimes it's important for us to attack the root, isn't it? And not just identify the fruit. God, kill the spider is our prayer. That's what this fourth thing is all about. That stuff that we have that's not pleasing to God. It's time for us to repent of it, to get that yeast out of there. Because we need to live in purity before the Lord. That's the fourth thing. Live in purity before the Lord. I'm going to wrap this thing up here today shortly. Tell you a quick story here. Francis Chan, pastor in California, once told of a trip to China where he worshipped with an underground church. He was invited to a new believer's training. The leaders spoke about persecution. They said Chinese soldiers usually shot over their heads so they should run away if they can. I guess they did that on purpose. They didn't really want to kill them, just scare them. But some soldiers also might club them over the head with the butt of their rifle. But if that happened, they put them in a hospital for recovery. And the leaders recalled when they had been shot or clubbed and put in the hospital and suffered for the cause of Christ. And after the training, they asked Francis Chan to share about the state of the American church. He told them some believers seek a church where there's plenty of activities for children or teenagers. Others select a church based on the worship style. Others go to a church based on how skilled the pastor was at speaking or how winsome his personality was. After he finished, he said he was never so embarrassed in all of his life. A 19-year-old Chinese believer held out his New Testament and asked, where do you get that out of this? See, Leonard Ravenhill, many of you may know, he's an evangelist and author. He actually died in 1994, so he's a pretty contemporary evangelist of our generation. And he wrote, among other books, Why Revival Tarries, and he's quoted as saying this, I wish in America that we were as concerned about separation from church and sin as we are separation between church and state. Church and sin, it's a monstrous problem. And I agree with him. I believe there's so many people that go to so many churches and maybe even some here today that we compartmentalize our lives and we come and we worship the Lord on a Sunday morning and we praise Jesus and we go through the motions. But then we live like anybody else that's living in the world for the rest of the week. Are we subtly slip in and out of those things that are not pleasing to God? We know it those little breadcrumbs that have yeast in it, and we're not taking the feather and the, and the wooden spoon anywhere near them because we've justified them. We've gotten used to them. We've somehow adjusted God's word, and our, and our conviction is so diminished that we just feel like we're doing fine. And I'm here today to tell you that God is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. We must be careful to identify the yeast in our lives and to sweep it away. And to burn it in a mighty bonfire of repentance before the Lord. 
Paul actually, the Apostle Paul spoke of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, your boasting is not good. Church, your boasting is not good. You come to church, you do all these things for me, for the Lord. Boast about it all you want. Don't you know that the little yeast, he says, leavens the whole batch of dough? <laughs> How convicting. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival of unleavened bread. There it is again. There's the feast. It comes up again in a very familiar scripture for us. Not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul is speaking to those in Corinth, and that was a very evil culture, that large city with a lot of stuff going on in Corinth. Do some research and reading about it. And there was a group of Christians that were there in, in this city that was immersed in, in evil and compromise and different things that were not pleasing to God, that were opposite of God's word. And he was speaking to them saying, listen, stop being like the world. Stop riding the fence. Stop being this way on Sunday and this way the rest of the week. It's time for black to be black and white to be white. Either you're holy or you're, or, or, or you're, or you're evil. Either you're going to love God and hate sin or you're going to love sin and evil and hate God. But if there's no more compromise here. There's no more riding the fence. Don't just stop boasting because I know you got some yeast in your life. And it's time for you to get that old yeast out. And be a new unleavened batch. We were once slaves to sin. But Christ has swiftly and completely redeemed us. But the decision that we've made to serve God is not only a singular decision, but it's an ongoing lifestyle. Repent means that we were headed one way and we stop and we turn and we go this way. That's what repentance is. It's not just veering a little bit off of the course. You're still heading in the same direction. And there's the cliff. And you're still going to go over it, but maybe just a little more like Jesus. Uh, repent means I'm walking away from that cliff, and I'm walking into the safety of Christ's arms. I was once headed towards sin and death and destruction, and so were you. But I challenge you today to head instead towards holiness and rescue and eternal life in heaven with Christ. Now, I know... That things tend to creep into our lives. And if we're not careful, they'll begin to transform us in ways that are so very harmful to our very souls. Because the yeast of sin is destructive. I challenge you today. I plead with you today. Be wise. Be godly wise. Be careful. Be holy as Christ is holy. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. The apostle Peter wrote this. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So I ask you this morning, do you have any yeast that you need to deal with? Do you have any habits? Any choices? Any things that you've justified in your life that you need to repent of? You see, the yeast of sin, it's so 
pervasive. Just a little tiny bit impacts the whole lump and not only impacts your life, but actually spreads to others, doesn't it? I want to pray with you today. And in this prayer, I want you to picture yourself getting out a wooden spoon and a feather. And I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you like a little lamp to our feet and a light unto our path because he knows exactly where to lead you in your heart. He knows exactly where to go, where those still little yeasty breadcrumbs are. He knows exactly where they are. And really you do too, but if it was in your own strength and guidance, you would veer away from those things and say, well, let's leave that alone for now. I'll deal with it later, maybe, but not today. But if you let the Holy Spirit guide you, he'll take you to those places lovingly, very lovingly, because he loves you. And he knows that that yeast, that that little breadcrumb of yeast in your life that you've hid away in the corners, in the dark places, he knows that it's destructive. And he doesn't want to see you destroyed. He wants to see you whole, rescued, holy, and like Christ. Be holy as Christ is holy. Love God, hate sin. Take the wooden spoon out. Take the feather out. Get a little bag. Figuratively right now, in the spirit right now, do that. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And let's sweep these little pieces of yeasty, dangerous sin into that bag today. And let's burn them at the altar of repentance of God's grace. Don't feel bad just for the cobwebs. Let's kill that spider, amen? I'm going to ask you all to stand with me this morning. I'm going to make it a little bit easier for you because I'd like for and for those of you that are at home too, do the same thing. Just, I know maybe you've been s- sitting for a while at your home. Stand with me at, at the house where you are. Just, just as a different body posture. And this is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. I'm going to pray over you But I'm also going to ask that when you feel like that you've swept those crumbs in that bag, I'm going to ask you, as the Holy Spirit prompts you, to just come. And they don't have to be big old sins. You don't even have to confess them. I mean, you confess them to the Lord, of course. But you don't have to say, in this bag today, I have... No, it's between you and the Lord. But figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, bring that bag to the altar here. Which is like you're putting them in a big old pile. We're going to just take the torch and light it up. We're going to burn all that yeast away. Okay, let's just do that this morning. I want you to kind of get a visual of what's getting ready to happen here. You're getting ready to extract by the power of the Holy Spirit those sins from your life. Put them in a bag and say, here, give it. I, I give it to you. And not only is it going to stay in a bag, you're going to burn it up where it's going to be nothing left. And then you're going to walk out of here saying, all right, there's really some things that I need to do that are different starting today, starting now. I might need to... Uh, have a different lifestyle. I might have to change my habits, the way that I talk, my goals in life, the way that I do things when nobody's looking. Uh, 
any sort of impulses, any sort of desires, any sort of anything that's in my life that I know is wrong. I know that it's keeping me from loving God like I need to, from being holy as He is holy. And I've just done this for so long. I don't even know if I can give it up, but you can. You can. Not only can you, you must. And the Holy Spirit is here to help you with it. So would you bow your heads in prayer? And nobody looking around, because it's between you and the Lord right now. And uh, let's just do a little house cleaning. Lord, we, we, we take our wooden spoons, just like the Papa did. They, he started with a prayer, and then he went around with a wooden spoon and a feather and a little bag and identified those little morsels that were there. Lord, I pray now that you would help us to invite you, the light of your Holy Spirit, to come and now let that lamp to our feet and the light to our path Holy Spirit, won't you direct us to those places? We know exactly where you're going because we don't want to go there, but we know that we need to. So take us to those places. Take us to those places that maybe we don't even know are displeasing to you. Maybe we don't know that they're harmful to us. But Holy Spirit, you do. So take us to those places too. And let us see as plain as the nose on our faces that there it is right in front of us, that we can't avoid it, we can't ignore it, there it is. There are those things. Now, Lord, give us the courage and the obedience and the desire to take that feather and to sweep that stuff into that, that spoon right now, that big old wooden spoon. Oh, there's another one over there. I'm going to get that one too. Okay, Holy Spirit, you're taking us somewhere else and we're going to take that feather and that spoon and we're going to sweep that too. You, Lord, you know what it is. We, we, would you guide us, order our steps, show us the little caverns and the dark places in our hearts that we've avoided for far too long that's destroying us. That yeast is permeating every part of our lives and we're sick and tired of it. We want to be a new lump of unleavened bread with no yeast that we would be renewed in you. Now, Lord, we sweep them into this bag right now. Thank you, Lord, for that. Now, Lord, there's some things that we may not even know that you know where they are. And we just ask that you'd help us to take that feather and that spoon and just sweep it all in there right now. Just everything. Just put it in that bag and we're going to cinch it tight. Now, Lord, we're going to bring this bag to the altar right now. And we're going to lay it in a big old pile. And we just lay it at your feet. Lord, here's my bag. I, I place it right here. Won't you take it now? Lord, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I repent. I recognize those things that are not pleasing to you. Sanctify me. Make me more like you. And Lord, if there's just, just a couple of bags here this morning, so be it. But Lord, if there's others that, are, that want to come and bring their bags down and lay it in that pile, then Lord, I thank you that we're going to have a bonfire here in just a few moments. And we're going to give these things over to you. Some other bags are being laid down. People are coming up. You're at home this morning. Maybe you have a bag. I want you to get up and take it to a place wherever you are away from where you are right now. And just set it in a, in a pronounced place in the middle of your room. As people are coming and laying their bags down, Lord, we give these things to you. The pile is getting bigger. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that none of us are exempt from this. Lord, none of us are sin-free. Many of us have compromises. Many of us are saying and doing things that are not pleasing to you. We can put on that, that cloak of holiness, but Lord, help us to not walk around boasting like we're anything because we're nothing without you. And we take these bags with these, with these 
pieces of, of, of yeasty dough that is not pleasing to you and we place it in the pile at the altar. Lord, we lay it at your feet. And Lord, as a community here today, we thank you that we can come as they did and as they did every year where they would have a particular appointed place in the, in the town square and that they'd have a bonfire burning party. Lord, today we do the same thing. Lord, spiritually speaking, we take these little bags that have this yeasty stuff, this sinful stuff in our lives, the stuff we've had far too long, and we lay it at your feet. And Lord God, today, we ask Jesus that you would just forgive us and help us, Lord God, to be more like you in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in our decisions, in our goals, in our lifestyle choices. God, forgive us and make us more like you, Lord Jesus. Oh God, we take the, we take the torch now of your, of your cleansing Holy Spirit, the fire of your spirit, the fire that cleanses, the fire that, that purges, that removes the dross, that, that, that burns up the stuff that doesn't belong. And we take that torch right now. If you came down with a bag and you're back at your seat or you're here, I want you to now just extend that torch out like you got, like you got the fire of the Holy Spirit on the end of that stick. And I want you to place it down in that pile right now. Just place it on down there and say, Lord, I burn it up. Lord, I, I take the, the, the fire of your holiness and I burn this up because I don't want to be like I was. I don't want to have yeast in my life. I don't want to walk in that compromise and that sin and that lifestyle anymore. I repent. And God, instead now, take that that was once there that's not pleasing to you. And Lord God, let it be an unleavened bread in me. Let me be, let me be holy like you're holy. Come on, let that be your prayer right now. Jesus, make me holy like you're holy. Oh, make me holy. Come on, say it out loud. Pray to the Lord right now. Lord, take my tongue and let my words be words that are pleasing to you. Oh, let this tongue be a holy tongue. Lord, take my mind and let my thoughts be holy thoughts, righteous thoughts, thoughts that are godly and good. Oh God, take my eyes and let the things that I see be eyes that are holy eyes, Lord God. Don't let any evil come across these eyes, Lord God. I thank you, God. Let my ears be holy ears so that the things that I hear, the music and the, 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 the TV shows and the conversations and all the stuff, Lord God, that I would not allow uh, impure, evil things to come into my ears. But Lord, only those things that would be holy and righteous and pure, edifying my spirit. Let my feet, Lord God, I give you my feet today. Let my feet be quick to walk and run, in fact, to the things of you and to run away from folly and, and, and sin and compromise and, 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 just, and just, stup just stupid things, evil things. Lord, help us to be wise. Let us run to wisdom. Let us run to holiness. Let us run to you, Lord God, and hide under the shelter of your wings. Let these hands, Lord God, we give you these hands, Lord God. May these hands be hands that would love and not hate. Lord God, they would embrace and not hit. Let these hands be hands that would, that would say, uh, that, 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 would, that would extend mercy, that would extend generosity, that would extend Christ, Lord God. Let us have the same nail-scarred hands that you would have, Lord God, that showed sacrifice, that showed complete love, that showed complete uh, giving of himself. Lord, we give you these hands. Let these hands be the hands that would extend to people as Christ, you extended your hands to us. We give you our arms. 
that they would embrace, that they would that they would bear uh, that would bear one another. We give you our backs, that we help bear one another's burdens, Lord God. We, we give you all of our all of our hidden parts, all of our secret parts, all of our parts that we keep covered, Lord God. And we give you those as well. We don't pray about that too often in church, but Lord, we're going to give you even that today, so that our urges and that our inclinations would be holy and righteous and pure towards you we give you those hidden parts those secret parts that we that we that we keep covered lord god but may they be covered by your blood may they be covered by your strength may you help us lord god to make decisions that are sexually pure in nature lord we give you our entire beings we give you the things that don't even represent this body but they represent our possessions our abilities our past our futures, our desires, our, 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 our emotions, everything about that too, we give it to you. And Lord, we want to be sanctified, complete and holy like you are. And we're working towards that. But Lord, help us to want it. Help us to hunger and thirst for you. Like instead we were hungering and thirsting for the things of this world. Now, God, as we burn that stuff at this pile down here, Help that same hungering thirsting that we once had for the things of this world to be pivoted so that we can hunger and thirst for you, for righteousness, for holiness, for purity, for the things of your kingdom. Lord, help us to take that same passion and that same energy that we used to pursue the things that were not pleasing to you and instead pursue the things that are pleasing to you. I thank you, Lord God, that this is not just a one-time shot. Father, help us on a regular basis to take our wooden spoon and our feather and our bag and Holy Spirit, guide us through the caverns of our heart and expose to us the sin that we would so easily fool ourselves into thinking is okay. And let us on a regular basis be cleaned. Let the yeasts be removed. Oh God, help us to be unleavened in our heart without sin towards you on a regular, even daily basis. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Aren't you thankful for God's word today? Aren't you thankful that we can come to the throne of grace and that he would come to us and say, there's nothing that you've done or said that I can't forgive. No matter what, Jesus loves you. 